iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Barton Creek Store. Um, tonight, we have a wonderful event planned for you guys tonight. Uh, we're going to be... Um, we're going to be holding an event for uh, South by Southwest, and it's going to be for uh, uh, our new movie that we're going to be showcasing. And at this time, I would like to uh, invite our guest on stage, uh, the director of the film, Mr. Brian Poyser, uh actor Alex Karpovsky, Chris Dubeck, and Heather Kafka. And they're going to be joined by our guest moderator, Eric Cohn from IndieWire. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hi. So I saw this movie at the Sundance Film Festival last year, uh, or last, uh, sorry, about two months ago. Um, <laughs> it feels like last year. Um, I saw a lot of movies there. Uh, it started to feel sort of redundant when you see movies that try to do tell the same story over and over again. But this one, I don't know if you could tell from the trailer specifically what the setup is, but uh, the main premise is that there are two brothers who are sort of at war with each other, and uh, one of them is sort of trapped in the house and avoiding uh, being noticed for the entire running time of the movie, while the other one is uh, sort of running around the house with the guy's uh, ex-girlfriend. So it's a really fascinating setup, and uh, Brian, if you could just start by telling us how you came up with the idea to make a movie like this. Uh, some of the genre elements are very familiar, but the way that it, things play out are completely unexpected. So, um, yeah, well, I uh, I kind of came up from the, with the story uh, specifically from the the, the location. Um, we shot it in Park City, Utah, in this amazing house uh, that's just right on a, a ski run. It's on the side of a mountain, four stories, six bedrooms. And it's a house that I was familiar with because I uh, work for the Austin Film Society here in Austin, and we give grants to filmmakers, and every year uh, some of those filmmakers get their movies into Sundance, and one of our board members owns that house. And so I got to spend a night in that house and uh, kind of explore it a little bit and see how big it was, and it just sort of inspired me to try to come up with a story that would work in that house, and I wanted to, to write a part for Chris Dubeck, who's an actor that I've worked with uh, a couple times before in other films. And uh, so I just kind of added... Chris Dubeck into that uh, that house, that location, and the rest of the story kind of came organically from that. Right, and a lot of filmmakers struggle to find the right sort of lo locations for their films uh, and get, getting permits, getting permissions, but really the core of this movie takes place in this house, and I've been there, it's huge, there's a lot of opportunities to do things there, yeah. but obviously I'm, I'm sure it presents a totally unique challenge for, as far as just choreographing certain scenes. Well, yeah, especially because we were living in the house at the same time we were uh, shooting the movie, so, you know, um, the, we would shoot in certain bedrooms and then have to... Uh, everybody would have to move their stuff out of there so that we could uh, uh, shoot in in their bedroom, and so it was uh, it was it was a logistical challenge for sure. And maybe the actors can get on, in on that a little bit because uh, it, to me, I, I would imagine it would be more theatrical to kind of work inside this one, uh, you know, sort of claustrophobic space over a certain period of time. But there was a hot tub. Uh, yeah. A luxurious claustrophobia. <laughs> and really nice beds and. Yeah. It was a, it's, a it's a luxurious house, so it wasn't too hard of a sell to be like, hey, do you want to come up to Park City, Utah and stay in this amazing house and shoot a movie there? And, you know, there are multiple hot tubs and yeah. a screening room and 
giant beds. Well, the thing I fell in love with was the kitchen. I like to cook, so the kitchen was the size of my apartment here in Austin, and um, I had fun cooking. And these guys derived nutritive value from my cooking. Mm-hmm. And we we had fun eating your food. Yeah. You had fun eating my food. I put garlic in that. Yeah, I put a lot of garlic in, in the food. You could probably tell there's some good camaraderie going on here, and it comes through in the performances because it, this movie really is about these three people and sort of the, the very specific dynamic they have together. So maybe um, for all four of you, if you could tell us a little bit about how you went about developing both the relationship that these brothers have, the sort of tension between them, and how your character sort of figures into that sort of bizarre love triangle that comes out. Um, well, a lot of it came out in the rehearsals. We had an uh, extensive rehearsal period uh, here in Austin uh, where the, the, the four of us got to work on this stuff for about a month. And uh, and the rehearsals were not really about, like, working on the scenes necessarily, like trying to find out, like, how we were going to say the lines, you know, like a month from, from then when we were going to shoot the movie. It was more about just trying to build them into a family because, you know, uh, Alex and Chris had to be convincing as brothers, maybe... maybe uh, half brothers people have said they don't really look very much alike at all so maybe it was kind of a stretch but uh one of the first things i had them do uh during the first rehearsal was i was just like i want you guys to wrestle i want you guys to yeah what happened that wrestling scene come (laughs) on we had a great wrestling scene yeah don't doesn't it look like i could take this guy down actually not the case uh yeah Alex totally housed him. My money's on Alex. I have technique. (laughs) Technique over muscle. Your money's on Alex. Yeah. I'm sorry, babe. I'll wrestle anyone in this room, even if you're bigger than me, because I I have technique. Wow. Yeah. It's a new use for computers. Computer wrestling. (laughs) Mac wrestling. No, but that wasn't... There's an app for that. There's an app for that, yeah. It was a huge luxury to have four weeks of rehearsals, because I've never had that on any... Even remotely close to that on any film... And not only were we able to get into scenes, but we were able to actually, like Brian was saying, create a foundation for camaraderie, for some sort of basic understanding, understanding people's strengths and weaknesses, points of vulnerability, all that sort of stuff. We were able to really kind of hone in on that and develop it and have fun with it, too. So by the time we got to Utah and we were able to kind of begin shooting, I felt like we were 80, 90 percent there already. And that's something that I was really nervous about, because in the movie, these two know each other for 16 years, 15 years, they're married. I know him my whole life, and I know her pretty well. So, but in real life, we didn't know each other at all. In real life, I didn't know any yeah, of exactly. them at all. Yeah. It was all that time sleeping in the same bed. I think that's... Well, I did, I did make the two of them share a bedroom when we were in, in Utah um, in order to, for them to start kind of like getting annoyed with each other, and I think, I think it worked. I, I have to admit, he took one for the team because I discovered I, I do snore. Yes. How do you discover that in your 40s? <laughs> There's not a lot of people next to me saying, oh, okay. you're snoring. Okay. The, there is a lot of uh, sort of interesting psychology in this movie, and we learn more about these characters as we go along. Even in the, just the last few minutes of the movie, cer- certain things are revealed that sort of inform everything that came beforehand. So when you, do, uh, when you act in a movie like that, that has that much going on beneath the surface, how much, can you, the, uh, you know, how much, Brian, do you allow the actress to bring to the table, and, and how much do you guys get to sort of you know, figure out your own path for, the, for who these people are? Well, again, again, I went back to the rehearsal period because we had, uh, you know, we had basically a month to kind of like hang out together and hang out with the script and like delve into the backstory. So we would like we would like we like would improv like the first time that they met, like they met at a at a copy shop. They both worked at a copy shop and they kind of made out in the in the back, I think, 
and uh, the magenta and the, yes. the lime green paper. And uh, yeah. and and so we that, that just gave us a, an opportunity to kind of really build the backstory that, of course, isn't going to be on the page in the film, um, but 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 they've all gone through it, and so they know it, and 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 can use that to inform you know the lives of the characters as they're lived on screen. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, as as I said, I mean. Chris, you're you're basically hiding for most of the movie, and yet we learn so much about you, the way that you two relate to each other from just a few early scenes, and then sort of from your absence in the room and the way that they relate to you in that regard. So, does, does being being a, an invisible character, so to speak, does that play a role in the way that y- that you embody this person? I think we've all had that experience of not being seen. And not being recognized and being invisible, but uh, I prefer not talking. I kind of like hiding. Uh, my background's in mime, so I like not talking when I'm. Um, now, seriously though, we had it's really through Brian's rehearsal process, talking a little bit about b- backstory, that we were able to really organically. Sometimes you discover a character, sometimes you sort of uncover it. There's many ways of finding it, but we kind of found that place very organically and. And he took us through our paces, you know, our, our played games, did, did some guided imagery, didn't feed us during the after period midnight. after midnight, <laughs> yeah. Kept us in a pen and no, no, he, it's, yeah, it is a luxury. You know, Alex is right, it's a luxury on a film and when you have, you have time, money, it's almost like you don't always have both, but we had time. Very, definitely didn't have very much money. No, we didn't have money, we didn't have much money, yeah. yeah. You have a great screenplay, and I, I, I really appreciate how honest it is. Um, I think you've told me before that there are a lot of very personal elements to this movie that have come from your own life, and that you may have even split them amongst some of the different people in this movie. So yeah. it's interesting, you know, the writing process must have been difficult to figure out who's who with that. Uh, I mean, I think I just I just tried to uh, to make sure that each one of the characters was that I wasn't trying to make anyone a hero and I wasn't trying to make anyone a villain. Like they all do maybe villainous things uh, throughout the movie. They all, you know, do things that are almost deliberately intended to hurt people, uh, the, the people that are close to them. Um, but I'm also like, for me, in my mind, it was always that they were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to do the right thing for themselves, for the other people in their lives, or they were fed up with trying to do the right thing by the other people in their lives and they wanted to finally do something for themselves. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. I, I always just tried to test it against myself. Like, you know, would, would I, does this make me like hate this person irredeemably? No. Well, maybe let's see if an audience, uh, will go along with how far they're going to go, but still maybe like them in some small way. Can you tell us a little bit about the title? Because it it has a, a literal meaning, but obviously extends beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. So the title, I came up with the title like a long, long time ago, but I always wanted it to be the title of something, um, the title of a book or a story or a movie, um, but in another movie where it was just sort of referenced to like, so just the line, like, you know, how's that, how's, how's that book coming? Because in the movie, Lovers of Hate is this book that, that uh, Rudy's character has been working on for, for like six years, but he hasn't actually written anything. Um, and I think so, I have an outline. Yeah, so he's got an outline. Yeah, I got and, an outline. And that's it. And he and he gave the outline you to his... You showed him the outline, right? Well, I showed it to my agent six years six ago. Six years okay. ago. And then he liked it, but nothing followed. Yeah. So it's, it, in my mind, it was a, it, it's it's about a 
you know, it's a book that's never going to be written. Like, you know, Rudy's been working on this book. He's working on this book because his brother is a successful, uh, a successful writer um, of children's books. And Rudy's working on this book called Lovers of Hate that uh, is, is not a children's book, but he's trying to get uh, Alex's character to, like, show it to his agent and try to get some traction on it. Um, but, of course, he's just incapable of writing because he... His brother has, has become very successful uh, with these line of children's books that's based on their um, this sort of shared uh, mythology that they had as kids about this fantasy world. And he's sort of turned it into this like cash cow, um, like the sort of Harry Potter style series of books. Uh, and uh, and his brother is you know very resentful of the fact that he's sort of taken this and, and turned it into something that's made him famous, whereas Rudy is just kind of you know, working these dead end jobs and kind of going nowhere with his life. So, so he's trying to work on this book, you know, to, to see if he can do it. Um, but it doesn't really work out. So. Right. And yet the, so the term lovers of hate, I mean, it, it is literally referencing this book. And yet at the same time, I think you could probably find some, some aspect of the theme that seems to suggest that these guys really get into loving yeah. to hate each other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a big part of it. And hopefully the, the, the audience loves to hate them too. Yeah, in addition to being a very funny movie, there's a sense of suspense that percolates throughout. It's kind of creepy, you know? I mean, for the characters who don't know that Chris is wandering around out there, it's, I mean, they, they think maybe there's some other kind of intruder. They, they, they hear noises, you know? And then for Chris, you know, we like him and we're kind of worried that he might get caught and what might happen if that does take place. So did, how, how much of that did you work out as far as the, the impact it would have on audiences? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to try to make something that was... Uh, tense suspenseful but not in like sort of a horror movie or a thriller way like trying to make something that was going to be yeah suspenseful in the way of like oh is he going to get caught you know where your your allegiance to the character shifts like you don't really want Rudy to get get caught but then you also are kind of worried about the two of them and maybe want the two of them and their romantic weekend to actually work out so that they can maybe go along on this affair that maybe you know the two of them are you know, they, they really would be a better pair than Diana's character and Rudy's character. Um, so, so, I mean, it was a lot of fun to, to kind of have those thriller, you know, sort of, you know, closing doors, sort of farce elements to it, um, which, you know, and, and we had a lot of fun shooting that stuff, too. And it's also a very sexy movie. I mean, it deals with sex in a very upfront way. You made another film that played at the Slamdance Film Festival that's uh, available on DVD, and I highly recommend checking it out, called uh, Dear Pillow, which also did that. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit about, you know, when, you, when you're writing sex scenes and when you're dealing with sexuality, you know, what sort of strategies do you have to make sure you don't, you know, hold certain things back? Well, for this movie in particular, I wasn't interested in trying to shoot any sex scenes. I wanted to focus on the pre- and post sex scene so um you know how they are sort of seducing each other and then then what they do after when they're just sort of hanging out uh naked together and uh i don't know i mean it was a challenge i don't know if you guys want to talk about how challenging it was or wasn't for for shooting those scenes because i mean it, this is for both of you guys this is the first time you ever exposed yourselves as much as you do in this movie um Go on. I, I exposed myself too in the beginning. That's true. Yeah, but there was no one else there. That's true. <laughs> so it doesn't as count. Usual. Yeah. I think as long as I trusted you and knew what your vision was, I was okay with it. It made sense. You know, it wasn't just gratuitous, and it wasn't. 
there was no montage music and soft lighting and all that. It was just, you know, it was real. This is what happens. And, and two, like you said, the, the more impacting perspective is Rudy hearing it from the shadows and, you know, peeking in and out and catching glimpses of what's going on and, and, and just overhearing it as opposed to us actually, wa you know, watching the characters have sex with each other. So that I thought was yeah, and important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was important to the story, and it was also important to kind of get it out of the way, like the sort of most intense, like <laughs> it was the, the first thing that we shot. Yes, the <laughs> the, yeah, the scene where they where they finally consummate this passion they've had for each other for so long. Uh, we we did that the first day, and it was partly because we were trying to shoot the movie chronologically, um, uh, but also partly because we just kind of wanted to get it out of the way so that you know um, they would be comfortable with each other by the end when we have more you know scenes where they're going to be nude or exposed in some way. Um, so I don't I, know. I, th I think that was interesting for for me and Alex on the first day, and that was the first scene that we were actually shooting together. And as an actor, there's a little bit of a Okay, well, how how are you? How are gonna, we gonna kiss what, each how, other? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, are you gonna open your mouth? Okay, wait. How is this gonna go? And then at one point, what do you I, like? And then at one point, Alex and I were like, "Oh, screw it. Let's just, you know, yeah. let's just do it." Yeah. Yeah. Because the more we talked about it, the more nervous we got. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, do we have any questions from anybody out here? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you can see this movie at the, the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's got one more screening on Thursday at 9.30 at the Alamo South Lamar. But you can actually watch it right now on Video On Demand. Uh, it's it's uh, IFC uh, picked it up and they put it on Video On Demand on Friday. So it's on Time Warner Cable. It's on Cablevision, Cox Cable. Um, so, so you can see it as soon as you get home. For six ninety nine, right? For six ninety nine. Time Warner Bring Channel one thousand, I believe. Channel one thousand, thank you. You don't have to pay five dollars for popcorn. You can just sit in your room and <laughs> just make your own Orville Redenbachers at home in the in the microwave. Jiffy pop. Well, this is actually an interesting point to bring up. I mean, you know, this is a model having a movie premiere at a film festival and also available in, in living rooms all around the country, something that people didn't really do before. And as someone who's been kind of, you know, working as an independent filmmaker for a long time, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about this kind of distribution model. Well, I mean, I, for, with my first film, Dear Pillow, it, it played at a bunch of film festivals, including South by Southwest, but it took like three years for it to finally get on DVD. Um, and then the company promptly folded just a few months after it came out on DVD, so it's sort of unavailable now. And I just didn't really want to do that, to go through that again with this movie. Like, you know, I wanted people to be able to see it. And, and kind of the most attention that the movie uh, has gotten so far and probably would get since it's, you know, a small movie that we made for very little money um, is at film festivals. So it, it premiered at Sundance. Uh, we got a lot of great press out of that. Uh, it's playing here at South by Southwest, which is another very prominent film festival. And people are hearing about the movie, you know, all over the country, hopefully all over the world. And uh, I think it'll play well in France. Well, hopefully it'll play well in France. We'll see. Um, so, so we just, I don't know, I, IFC, um, they started this last year where they're, last year they had a world premiere film called Alexander the Last that premiered at South by Southwest. And then they put it on, uh, on demand, video on demand, like the very next day. And so they wanted to continue on with this experiment. They liked the film a lot and, uh, and felt like South by would be a really great launch for it. So, you know, hopefully as people hear about it, um, you know, who can't go to film festivals or, you know, wouldn't even think to go to film festivals. They'll hear about this funny, weird, creepy, sexy, funny movie 
and they'll uh, they'll order it on cable. That's that's the hope at least. Right. Well, are there any other que any questions? Saying it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you want to go first? Um, yeah, so we, we shot the film on uh, the Panasonic HVX camera, which is a high-definition camera uh, put up by Panasonic a, a couple years ago. I think it's already kind of obsolete. There's great cameras that, are, that have come along um, since then, but, uh, but it's a really great camera for the price, um, and uh, we didn't really have very much equipment, didn't have very much lighting. Um, we, when we got up to Park City, we were using you know, the light of Utah. We got a lot of the great bouncing light from all the snow that's up there in Park City um, that, that helped with the lighting of the film. Um, and uh, I, I edited it on Final Cut Pro. Thank you, Apple. Um, actually edited it on a Mac Mini that I bought back in 2005, with like 512 megs of RAM, which just barely survived the first cut of the movie. And then I had to upgrade, use another a friend's system. I was just kind of like a a, a bouncing homeless person, like taking my drives from one friend's uh, computer to another, trying to get the movie done. Um, but uh, but yeah, Final Cut Pro, thank you. <laughs> Sounds like you could use a new Mac. Yes, yes I does. could. Oh, uh, yes, it does. Any takers? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you had a question right there. Um, yeah, so, so I wrote the film... Uh, with with Chris in mind, and then uh, Alex, I saw in a film made by a friend of mine uh, uh, called uh, Beeswax by uh, Andrew Bujalski, who's another Austin filmmaker. Um, I saw like a rough cut of that film, and actually we we met acting together in that film. Like Alex, he got a really big part in that film. I just got two lines, but they were two lines with him. And so I met him, thought he was a cool guy. Saw the the rough cut of the film, realized he was actually very very good actor and so asked him to do it and then uh and then we needed to do auditions to find the female lead and so we worked with a local casting director and she uh brought in uh, heather um uh for us and i i so i didn't know heather um but uh, i realized that i knew her work because when i uh saw her like um her demo reel and and uh her resume i saw that she was in the texas chainsaw massacre remake that was shot here like in 2004 um, which I uh, actually thought was pretty good. I was I was a little ups I was a little worried, you know, because I really loved the original. But I thought they did a really good job. And she played Leatherface's sister in that movie, and uh, was really scary. She really creeped me out. So and you were like, I'll cast her as my romantic lead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's like when she came in, I was like, okay, here comes Leatherface's sister. This is going to be interesting. But then, of course, she's a very bright, sunny. You know, wonderful, <laughs> warm person. Nothing like a psychopath, and uh, uh, and you know, and 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 and. But the difference, or, or I mean, the, the similarities between Leatherface's sister and and this movie is like her just 100% commitment to the role. Um, you you want to tell us about your your your? Uh, I, I love the story about the callback for uh, for the chainsaw. Oh, I um. Well, the part in Chainsaw was originally written for a morbidly obese woman in her mid to late 40s. And I thought maybe my agents had, you know, smoked some funny cigarettes because <laughs> clearly I'm not going to fit that model. So I just, I spent about three intense days with the character and went a little crazy in my apartment and shaved off my eyebrows. And when I looked in the mirror, I realized that that is what I was looking for. That's what she looks like. And so I went into the audition in a dirty bathrobe with shaved eyebrows and the two casting assistants were like, 
you deal with her. No, you deal with her. No, no. You talk to her. And they were terrified of me. <laughs> um, and then uh, the director really liked it, and so that's how I got hired for that. But yeah. And well, so, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, yeah, and so, and so you know, I just, I, I, when, uh, you know, when, when I read with her and realized that she was really great, you know, I, I was just like, is if, if she's willing to be in this movie, I mean, of course we want her to be in this movie. You know, like she's 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 got better credits than any of us. Like, you know, so Put together. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah. So we, we really lucked out finding this. And I just love what Brian was doing. I really believed in it. And so I have an eight, I had an 18 month old daughter at the time. And this would be the first time that I would be away from her. And um, and I was ready and willing to do that and just yeah. be fully committed to Brian's vision because yeah. I think it's a cool one. Yeah. And so just to finish this off, uh, what's next for you? Uh, what's next for me is uh, uh, probably trying to get a lot of sleep. Um, it's been kind of a, a crazy whirlwind roller coaster from Sundance to selling the film, delivering the film so they can actually put it on VOD um, you know, this week, and then uh, getting ready for South by Southwest. Um, and I still have a full-time job, so i gotta, I got to make sure I uh, don't get fired from that job. Um, so, uh, but but I do have another script that I've been working on um, that that's going to be a little bit bigger scope than this movie. It's kind of a horror thriller film set mostly in an elevator that I've been working on for a couple of years now. So uh, it's going to require a lot more money than this movie. So hopefully we'll use be, be able to use the momentum we've gotten from this film to try to get convincing people to give us some money for for that. From a condo to an elevator, huh? Yeah, exactly. Into those tight, enclosed, claustrophobic spaces. (laughs) Well, on that note, thanks a lot, guys. Well, thank you. Thank Thank you. you